So this is, a, this is Epiphany Sunday, and some of you have been reading a devotional this week, and uh, they've been talking about, like, this is, the season's already underway and it ends today. That's, that's really uh, incorrect. Actually, we've been in Christmas tide. Epiphany begins today. The, the days from December 26th to today, that's the 12 days of Christmas uh, that you hear about in the song. So actually, Epiphany begins today. This is the day in which the church recognizes or celebrates the arrival of the wise men or the magi. And uh, if you were in many parts of the world and you were in an Orthodox church, today would be the day on which you would exchange gifts, because this is when they do that, since this is when the Magi arrive to present their gifts uh, to the Christ child. So, uh, you know, they don't do it on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. They wait until today to do that. We suggested that to our kids when they were young. Nah, nah, didn't get, any, didn't get anywhere with that suggestion. Um, but this is the story, and uh, as we begin that, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. You know, you all know the, the story about the wise men coming. How many wise men are there? Well, well, I, actually, Matthew doesn't tell us how many there are. Uh, it's, it's not in the scripture. How, do you know their names? So, okay, somebody over here had it. Yeah, Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar are the three traditional names uh, for the wise men. Uh, again, that's, that's tradition. It's not in Scripture. Uh, I think the number three got stuck because three gifts are mentioned, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and so the assumption was that that's what the number was. Uh, but that's really probably not entirely accurate. So I'm going to unpack the story a little bit today. We're going to play with it a little bit about what, uh, this will be a little bit of a teaching session about what really what the, what the story is and, uh, and what it means for us. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you open our minds and, and our hearts and our spirits that we can see what you share with us today. Um, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's a very familiar story for most of us, and uh, let me just kind of start on, jump into it here in the Gospel of Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, in a lot of our pageants, you know, we have like the wise men showing up right after the shepherds do. But you need to hear that actually, you know, the wise men have to see the star and then they have to gather their resources and then they have to travel from, from the east, probably Persia, to Jerusalem. And so it, it, it wasn't, wasn't until sometime later that they arrived, sometime within the first three years of Jesus' life. But it's, it's not right away. And so this is very kind of un, unspecified here, but sometime within the three years after his birth, in the time of King Herod, uh, after Jesus was born, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. And that's a quotation out of, of uh, the prophet Micah, is where that comes from. Uh, and so the story continues, Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy on entering the house. Now you notice not, not, not the stable, they're in a house now. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, now the, the season of Epiphany, the word literally, uh, Epiphany, it comes from the Greek epiphanos, which means to shine light upon or across something or to reveal it. And you've all done this. Um, when I worked as a mechanic, you know, one of the things is that, you know, when, when we drop things, y'all all know your mechanics drop things when they work on your cars, right? They're, you know, you're always dropping. So you drop something and it's down there underneath and it's dark and, you know, you're trying to find some little dinky part in the dark. And so, you know, you do just like what we do at home, right? You get a flashlight, right? You've done this at home. And you lay it down, you get down on the ground and you shine it across the floor and whatever you're looking for sticks up and you can see it. You've done that at home looking for objects, right? I mean, that, that's how we find things, right? That's exactly what epiphanos means. That's exactly what it means, to shine the light across something so that something stands up and you can see it. It's also the word in Greek that's used for a revelation. Uh, something that suddenly that wasn't visible becomes visible. And so the, the season is named this. It's to shine light. It's to reveal. It's about the revelation of Christ as, revelation of Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God, and the revelation in Christ of who God is. It's kind of multidimensional. And the early church understood this. It uh, reached back in the Old Testament and got a hold of passages of Scripture there and, and connected it with this and uh, you know, kind of made all this come together so that we would have this story in front of us and understand the revelation. Now, the, the star thing uh, is what most people think about on this day. They think about the star guiding the wise men. And over the centuries, there's been lots of discussion about the star and lots of debate about what it was. And there's a, a theory that's kind of become popular in the last 10, 20 years now that actually what it was was a, it's a conjunction of of Regulus, the dog star, with Jupiter and Venus. In other words, kind of an alignment of the three of them together, which appears to be a single large star in the sky. And the reason that's become very popular is because one, uh, it, it explains the movement of the star that's talked about in scripture, uh, and because it lines up on the calendar with the events properly. Um, and it's become really popular now and, and widely publicized and uh, here we are in Austin, and I hate to tell you this, but it was a professor at A&M that came up with that. But, um, okay, A&M people. Okay, I, get, I mean, I give you an easy one, and you don't even whoop. I mean, really. Uh, so sorry, UT guys, but that, that's where it comes from. So this star appears, and, and our friend the Magi would have noticed that. Now, Magi are... Um, uh, well-educated people, and they would have studied astronomy, not necessarily astrology. That's, you know, astrology is on the comic pages for a reason. But anyway, uh, they would have studied astronomy, and they would have noticed this star. And that was a significant event in those days, because the way they understood the world was there was this firmament and ocean above the earth um, that separated earth from the heaven of heavens. And the heaven of heavens is where the, the great spirits dwelt. So when they looked in the stars, when... Uh, they were thinking like when a new star appeared, they would understand that that meant there was an opening through that firmament and ocean that was allowing a great spirit to descend to the earth. And when they saw a falling star or what we would call a shooting star, they assumed that that meant that, that somebody had died and so their spirit had returned to the heavens. So this is a significant event when they see this star, they, they attach a significance to that and understand that. In addition, they would have understood and read a lot of Jewish scriptures. Now, 
like I said, we usually picture three because there's three men, but you need to understand that these guys, actually, there's probably more than that because they're traveling from Persia to Jerusalem across a rather rough piece of territory, uh, the desert there, not only because of the physical challenges of that, but also because of the security challenges of traveling with something of great value across that desert. So uh, actually, it was probably an entourage or a caravan, and probably more like 40 or 50 people altogether. Um, so when they arrived in Jerusalem, you know, it wasn't like just three guys showing up on camels. I mean, it's this large entourage that arrives in Jerusalem. So of course, everybody in town knew that they had gotten there because it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a deal when they show up. That's how come King Herod noticed when they came. Uh, Magi were probably priests of Zoroaster uh, and uh, would have been studying uh, different languages, would have been studying astrology, astronomy, uh, all the natural sciences. Uh, they were the, the educated elite of Persia at this time. And in fact, sometimes they were so much more educated than the commoners that they appeared to know things uh, that they weren't supposed to know and appeared to be able to do things they weren't supposed to be able to do. It was like they were magical. Y'all know that's where the term comes from, right? Magical comes from things that the Magi did. That's, that's where the term originates. So uh, they had this ability and, and knowledge to do things, and people around them oftentimes didn't understood. So these were very well-educated men. They knew the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible, uh, and they knew how that connected with the star that they had seen. So they recognized what a lot of people in Israel did not recognize and, and saw right off the bat. And they came across this desert, traveling maybe two or three years, uh, to come to Jerusalem to greet this child. Uh, they recognized and, and, and read into uh, Old Testament scriptures, uh, things like, uh, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. If you're here on Christmas Eve, you'll hear me use that as a benediction. Uh, for darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather to you. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away. Your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. You hear the mention of gold and frankincense. Um, other passages that they would have been familiar with and that the early church would have recognized as well uh, from Isaiah. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulder. He's named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do that. Remember that, that Jesus is, uh, you know, comes out of the, the path of David. He's born in the city of David. And remember also that David's father is Jesse. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt 
around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. Now, how many of you have seen the lion and the lamb laying down together in those pink, right? And the lion's laying there and he's got a crook in the, there in the, in the crook of his paws. The little lamb is laying there. We had a beautiful painting of that in one of my beautiful churches, my previous churches. And, and I had to tell him, you know, that's really not what Isaiah wrote. It's, it's the wolf and the lamb. Anyway, the leopard, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand over the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious." Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you. And this is one the early church would pick up later on and apply to Palm Sunday. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nation, and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The, the early church and, and the Magi recognized how, how these different prophecies all came together and focused in on, on this child born in Bethlehem. And they pulled those together and began to understand that all of those scriptures, all those prophecies, the heavens themselves, everything pointed to this child as the Messiah. Now when the, when the Magi came, they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those gifts are gifts of great value and would have been appropriate for any royal birth for anywhere in the Middle East in that time. Gold being the mineral, frankincense, and myrrh are refined from the rosin of plants that grew in the area in that day. But but beyond the fact that they are significant gifts, uh, great value, uh, suitable, uh, there's also symbolism in, in those. Um, myrrh was uh, used as a painkiller, uh, applied topically to use as a painkiller, or mixed with wine and drunk to, uh, to uh, ease pain. And you'll remember that when Jesus was on the cross, uh, myrrh is offered to him, uh, mixed with vinegar as a painkiller, and he refuses it. Uh, but, but the gift of myrrh... It's a foreshadowing of the suffering and the pain that Christ will endure. Uh, frankincense was uh, frequently made into an incense. Uh, it was burned in the temple when offerings were made in the temple. Uh, it was also used to uh, put on into oil and used to embalm bodies with uh, to cover the scent of deterioration. And so uh, frankincense represents the sacrificial death of Christ. Gold was a metal, uh, one of the first precious metals uh, identified. Uh, it was identified because sometimes gold actually occurs in a fairly pure form in nature, uh, and also because gold is not very reactive uh, with other metals and it doesn't tarnish. And so gold early on came to be recognized uh, long before Jesus' time as a symbol of eternity or immortality. And so gold represents the resurrection. So when, when they brought those gifts, uh, the Magi brought those gifts, not only were they gifts suitable for the birth of royalty, but they also foreshadowed uh, the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And all of those things are things that the early church picked up on and saw and understood that, that all, of these, all of these things pointed to the birth of this child as the revelation of God. That, that in Jesus Christ... <laughs> 
God had aligned all of the prophecies, God aligned the heavens, brought all this together to point to this child saying, this, this is the one, this is the Messiah, the one that you've been hoping for, that you've been longing for, that you've been so disappointed has not been in the past, has arrived. But more than that, this Messiah is also the revelation of who God is. This Messiah shows us the face of God, the character of God, the love of God. Remember in John's gospel, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ. And that passage that John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it, overcome it is a reference to the resurrection. I mean, this is the light that comes into the world, the light of God's presence, of who God is that shines into the world. And in light of that, we see not only who we are and who God is, but we also see who God calls us to be. I mean, we sometimes lose this out of epiphany, but it's an important piece of it to hold together. Um, In one of the readings this week that I was reading through, um, the author talked about uh, St. Athanasius and said, Athanasius gives us the most profound and and concise explanation of the incarnation when he says, God became what we are so that we might become what he is. God became what we are so that we might become what he is. This is a simple explication of the orthodox notion of theosis, which is the process by which we become like God, and theosis means exactly that, like God, by way of union with God. We can be made like God in character, is an quali- important qualifier. Through the experience of union with God, we can come to love what God loves. God's values become our values. God's opinions become our opinions. Jesus shows us what it looks like for a human to be perfectly united with God, living with God in an unbroken bond of intimacy. And shockingly, Jesus invites us into this same reality. He invites us into union. When we surrender to Jesus and become possessed by his spirit, we too become incarnations. And the piece of epiphany that sometimes gets lost is that it's not simply pointing to Christ as the Messiah, but it's pointing to him as the revelation of who God is and of who God intends for us to become. And as we start the new year and we make all of our Wonderful New Year's resolutions. Y'all have made your New Year's resolutions, right? Some of you, anybody? Anybody already broken it? Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, this is, this is what the, the wisdom of our mothers and fathers in faith is to say, is that, you know, as you begin the year, we read the story because it reminds us that this is, this is our ultimate resolution. It's to give ourselves, surrender ourselves to God, that, that we might become more and more like Christ. That this is what we're called into. There's a wonderful story in Luke's gospel uh, that marks this day, uh, also sometimes is read, uh, about when Jesus is brought to the temple to be dedicated. Uh, And there's a man there named Simeon. Uh, This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I mean, Simeon does something here very similar to what Mary does in the Magnificat. When Mary uh, lifts up her voice in the Magnificat to praise God, she praises him for things that haven't happened yet, as if they had already occurred. It's a tremendous act of faith. And Simeon does the same thing. Having been promised that, you know, you're going to see the Messiah before you die, he holds the child in his arms, the baby who, who hasn't, there's no, none of this rest of the story has been told yet, you know, about Jesus. He holds the child and just holding the child, he says, okay, Lord, now I can die in peace because I've seen your salvation and your light in this child. In faith, he proclaims it, even though historically it hasn't happened yet. I mean, in doing so, he, he lives into the reality of that. And I wonder as we begin this year, if we're willing to live into the reality of that, if we're willing to give ourselves over like that, if we're willing to say, here we are, you know, and we're willing to give ourselves to you so that you can begin the work of reshaping us into the people you would have us be. Because, my friends, that is, that is what Epiphany truly is about. God revealing himself in Christ. God revealing to us who we can be. God calling us into a life of being reshaped by God's Spirit into the people God calls us to be. Let us pray. Mighty Father, we give you thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way in which the stars and, and, and the prophets and the wisdom of the ages all pointed to his birth. We give thanks to you that in him, not only were you pleased to reveal to us your face, but you were pleased to reveal to us the possibilities for who we could be. And so, Father, we ask you to give us confidence this morning as we come to the table. Give us trust as we step into your presence, that we might offer ourselves up to you so that you might be at work in us to shape us into who you would have us be. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.